Good morning. I guess Merry Christmas would probably be apropos, but Merry Christmas. Open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9, if you will. Isaiah chapter 9. Uh, you know, I don't guess that Christmas is a traditional holiday. Christmas is probably one of the most widely celebrated holidays. But you'll find in the you'll find no place in the New Testament where the early church celebrated Christmas. You don't find any kind of a format for Christmas. It's become tradition. There's nothing wrong with tradition as long as we don't lose the truth in tradition. I mean, you know, because for a believer, there's some, uh, it is the, the season of Christmas, the holiday of Christmas, is uh, based upon prophetic scriptures and, uh, and then historical fulfillment of those scriptures. In Isaiah chapter number 9, and in verse number 6, the Bible says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon the king, his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts shall perform this. Let's pray. Our Father, I pray that this morning you'll just give me exactly what needs to be said. Lord, you know that I have wrestled with this and prayed, and I want you to get the glory from anything that's said and done. I want to lift up the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for sending your Son down on the cross that those of us who were hell-bound and hell-deserving might have life and hope and peace. We just thank you, God, for all that you've done to it for us. Lord, We sometimes we seem so ungrateful. Lord, I pray you'll help us with that. Help us to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God that the world might see that there is a difference in our lives and might seek you as a result. And we'll praise you for all you do. For it's in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Now, the scripture I just read, you'll find often on Christmas cards, Christmas greetings, and such as that. Christmas has become very commercialized. Uh, I don't guess there's anything wrong with it, but I'm not sure there's anything right with it. I don't know how it became a place, a, a time of feasting. I, I'm not sure uh, where the idea of exchanging gifts are, uh, are uh, came from, but think that there's nothing wrong with those things. Tradition's fine. I mean, most families have some sort of a tradition that they observe on holidays. But, you know, what we need to remember is it's not about us. 
It's about him. I like to give gifts. I mean, we we normally try to do something for our children, for our grandchildren, for each other. We don't make a we don't make a big to do out of Christmas, but it is a special time of the year where everybody comes together. There's normally good food, a slight, you know, exchange of small gifts. But we don't want to lose fact, uh, lose sight of the fact that Christmas basically revolves around the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, if he hadn't come, we'd be of all men most miserable. So, the verse of scripture that I read in Isaiah chapter 9, the Bible tells us in First in First Peter chapter 1 that the prophets of old searched the scriptures even as they wrote them down to see what what they meant. So that means that it wasn't their idea. That was God's word. Can you imagine Isaiah as he wrote down Isaiah chapter 7 verse number 14 about a virgin shall conceive and bear a son? I imagine the old man might be scratching his head and said, Lord, did I get that right? A virgin? And the Holy Spirit said, put it down just like I told you. You know, we have printing presses and we have all sorts of uh, equipment now to reproduce the Word of God. But in the old days, before the invention of the printing press, all books were reproduced by hand. Every 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 line, every dot, every, every everything in there was reproduced by hand. And the, the, the scribes were very meticulous to make sure that they got the word right. You know, I, I think we'd be better off if we had more of that attitude and more of that solemnity toward the word of God today than we do. But can you imagine those scribes reproducing the scroll of Isaiah and coming to chapter number seven and saying, whoa, a virgin? bearing a child and the Holy Spirit would say write it down because not only is the word of God inspired but I believe the word of God is preserved and now there's no there's no sanctity to the word of God in the word, today's world the newer versions of the Bible changed Isaiah 7.14 to a young lady, a young woman. It's nothing unusual for a young woman to bear a child. It is pretty unusual for a virgin to bear a child. You know, people have struggled with, it, with the virgin birth. The two biggest elements about the Christian faith that people struggle with is the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ and the resurrection from the dead. They can handle just about anything else that he did, but they can't understand, they can't grasp or they can't accept the fact that, uh, he was born of a virgin, laid down his life and was raised on the third day from the dead. So let's look at this verse, at this verse of scripture in Isaiah chapter 9 for a few minutes. See that it was uh, it was written in one in one verse, but it was a threefold prophecy. 
unto us a child is born. That spoke of his nativity, of his incarnation, of being born of a virgin in Bethlehem. You know, we have to believe that. You say, I can't believe that. No, that's not true. It's not a matter of inability to believe it. It's a matter of unwillingness to believe it. You know, I've had people, I've, I've spoken to people and I've asked them, you know, are you a Christian? No, I don't believe all that stuff. I said, why don't you believe all that stuff? Well, you know, virgins don't have babies. I said, sir, it's not a matter of you don't believe it. It's a matter of you won't believe it. It's not a matter of you can't believe it. It's a matter of you don't want to believe it. You know, I, that, that's a fact. The Lord never commanded us to do anything that we're not capable of doing. When he said believe, that means that he enables us to believe. I mean, the Holy Spirit will enlighten our minds unless we blind, or we close our, our minds to all revelation. The Bible says in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 4 that the God of this world, speaking of the devil, has blinded eyes lest the glorious light of the gospel should shine in. And that's what we're dealing, what, what we, you deal with when you, when you try to witness to people, when you try to extend the invitation of the Bible to a person. We're looking at willful unbelief. I've had to, uh, I've people have told me, I don't believe in God. I said, no, I don't believe that. I said, I believe you're lying to me. For a simple reason, my Bible tells me in Romans chapter 1 that that which may be known to God has been revealed unto everybody. So they're without excuse. So it's not a matter of being unable. It's a matter of being unwilling. That's just like serving God. It's not a matter of being unable. God will take our inability and he'll use it for his glory. It's a matter of being unwilling. I, I had a, I offended a preacher one time. And I didn't do it intentionally. But I said that pe- many people say they're shy. I said shy is, is a form of pride. If you think about it, it that's exactly what it is. Because you don't want to be embarrassed. But you know, it's amazing that the Holy Spirit gave the disciples boldness as they declared the word of God, as they presented the message of grace. Gave them a boldness, a holy boldness to stand up, not worrying about other people's opinion, not worrying about persecution. They had the boldness because, you know why? They had experienced the grace of God. On December 28, 1981, I bowed my knee at I owned a cow ranch up in East Texas. And I called on the name of the Lord, and my life changed forever. I had no desire to go to prison. I tried to stay out of prison, to be honest with you. But that's where God put me. But you know, the thing about it is, when I got there, I was ready. Because God gives grace for the place. I've had people tell me, I don't understand how you do it. The only way I can do it is because of God. The only way that a pastor can stand up and face 
the, the trials and the tribulations that he goes through in pastoring a church is the grace of God. What I do is easy compared to pastoring a church. People say dealing with people on death row, it doesn't make any difference. Everybody's on death row. We need to realize that. Everybody's going to die. There's a date and there's a time that we're all going to die. But say so unto us a, ch- a child was born. Thank God for that baby, but I'm glad he didn't stay a baby in a manger. He grew up, and as he grew, he grew in grace and knowledge. When he was 12 years old and they went up to Jerusalem, well, he, they, they left him. And how can anybody leave Jesus? People leave Jesus on a regular basis. They get caught up in something else. But the family thought that he was with them, and they, and they departed from Jerusalem, found out he wasn't there. They went back, and he was sitting in the temple. And he was talking to the lawyers and the scribes. And he was amazing them with his knowledge and his insight. And he was only 12 years old. And these men were in their 30s, 40s, 50s. And he was amazing them with his knowledge of the Scripture. You know why people don't know the Scripture? We don't study. We study to show ourselves approved, but we don't do that. People say, well, yeah, but he knew it all. I mean, he wrote it. He knew it. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. He was a man just like you and I are a man or a woman. He was just as human as you and I are, yet he was 100% God. You say, explain that. I can't explain that, but I do believe that. You know how the reason Jesus knew his Bible? Because Jesus studied the word of God. He studied, he prayed, he sought the face of his heavenly Father, and God honored that, and he gave him knowledge beyond his years. I promise you, you, you will never be more willing to learn the word of God than God is willing to teach you the word of God. They're just, the Bible's like taking a bath. You go out in the world, during the day you're exposed to all the filth and the depravity of the world, and you can go back to the house and open your Bible. It's like stepping into a shower. The Bible says in John chapter 15, verse number 3, said, Now you cling to the word which I have spoken of. So unless a child is born, that was a fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 7, verse number 14, about the virgin shall conceive, and she shall bear a child, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. They named him Jesus because Jesus is, Jeho- uh, is the same word as Je- uh, Jehovah, our Savior. Uh, he was an amazing man. He was an amazing child. You know, after the after the twelve year uh, period, his brief appearance when he was twelve years old, said he went he went home and he was subject to his parents. You know, he was a perfect boy. He obeyed the law. He obeyed his father. Uh, well, he he did obey his heavenly father, but he submitted himself under Joseph, his earthly uh, guardian. He and he he reverenced his mother. All the things that the Bible told us to do. You say, how do you know that? If he was just a normal human, normal child, he probably had as many problems as everybody else does. No, because only if he was obedient could he say, as he did as an adult, "I do always the things that please my father." 
He made that statement. And he can't lie. See, he did always. You, you realize that he left us an example that we should follow in his steps. That our lives ought to revolve around obedience to the word of God. And the seeking the fellowship of God. I know that's a child that's born, but you know, if that was the end of it, then it wouldn't have been much of a hope, would it? He came for a purpose. In the next, in the next verse, he, uh, I mean, right, right after that, he says, unto us a son is given. That's not the birth. That's not the nativity. That's not the incarnation. That's the crucifixion. It was a son. It wasn't a child that went to that cross. It was a man who was fully aware of what was going on. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 2, that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And what was the joy? The joy was seeing people like you and me come to the end of our own means and cast our eyes toward heaven and to call upon the name of the Lord. See, that's where that was the joy set before Jesus. He was willing to suffer. He was willing to die so that you and I might never suffer eternal death. That you and I didn't have to remain in bondage to sin. You know, sin's a harsh taskmaster. Sin will take you farther than you ever meant to go. It'll keep you longer than you ever meant to stay. And it'll cost you a whole lot more than you ever dreamed that you'd have to pay. I see that on a regular basis in prison. But, you know, you can see the same thing on a regular basis on the streets of Houston, streets of New Caney, streets of Cleveland. Wherever men are found, you find prisoners to sin. What a horrible thing sin is. What What a horrible effect it has on the lives of people. What a horrible effect it does it has in families. Sin. But Jesus came to put away from you. Unto us a son is given. You know, first thing God will show a sinner is the fact that there is a God. The second thing he'll show a sinner is you're in trouble because you're not walking according to the truth. And the third thing, if a, if a sinner will listen, is he appoint him to the cross. When God began to deal with my heart, the first night I got mad. As I read the word of God, I, I got mad. I got angry. Because right when the when it was getting enjoyable and interesting, they killed the, they killed the hero. I said, why in the world would anybody put something like that in a book? I was reading along there and I was thoroughly enjoying the word of God and I found Jesus nailed to a cross. I got mad and I threw that New Testament across the room and I said, why would anybody write a book and kill the hero just when it was getting interesting? I didn't realize it. That was the first time that the word of God had ever touched my heart. That's the first time that I'd ever been emotionally touched by the Word of God. 
Do you realize that it doesn't make any difference how much Bible you're exposed to? It doesn't make any difference how much Bible that you, uh, you memorize? Until the Holy Spirit of God puts that word in your heart and says, Hey, that's the truth. You better pay attention. Then all it is is knowledge. But when the Holy Spirit of God speaks to our heart, it becomes true. That's why it doesn't make any difference where you go. There are people who need God. And they need to hear the word of God. They may not accept it, but they need to hear it. Because if they, if they hear it, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Rarely will a person respond the first time that they hear the gospel. But when you present the gospel to them, you're giving the Holy Spirit of God the, the wherewithal and the tools that he can work on that heart. That's the way God dealt with me. That's the way God deals with most people. Is It's not an overnight sensation, not an instant thing. God will work on us for years before he gets us to the place we need to be. But when we get there, it's amazing. When I, when I bowed my knee and I called on the name of the Lord, I started talking to him. And I started telling him stuff that you couldn't have pistol whipped out of me. But, and I mean, I was telling him all kinds of stuff that I hadn't even thought about for years. When I got through, I said, Lord, I guess that's it. That wasn't even the beginning. Because he started showing me some stuff that I'd forgotten all about that I wasn't even aware of. You know, the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, sin is something you know about. Something you, that you're aware of and that you're willfully doing. Unrighteousness is those things that God hadn't dealt with you about yet. He'll take care of all that stuff if you'll take care of the known stuff. Because that, you know, that's how you grow in grace. That's how God develops believers. Is here a little, there a little. I mean, one step at a time. We're to grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord. As you know, as you read the Word of God, you can't help but be convicted if the Holy Spirit lives in your heart. And if you respond to that nudge, and I, you know, I'm glad that God is gentle. I'm glad that God is merciful. I'm glad that God deals with us gently. People talk about how angry God is and everything. I've never experienced that part of God. Since I bowed my knee and I called on the Lord, I've always found him to be very long-suffering and generous and gentle toward me. I'm glad I don't serve the God of religion. I'm glad that I serve the God of Calvary. He came as the good shepherd to die for the sheep. Three days later, he rose, and now as the great shepherd, he ever lives to make intercession for you and me. When he first came, he came to a manger, and shepherds gathered to see this miracle that it performed because the angels had announced to him. Now, I've seen a lot of nativity scenes. 
and you'll find the wise men and the shepherds there. I want to tell you, the wise men didn't come to a manger. The Bible says they came to a house. The wise men didn't come to see a baby. They came to see the young child. That was two different, completely different events. But you know the amazing thing about it is, is God still, still drawing men to it. He drew those shepherds to see the incarnate Christ, the baby in the manger. He drew those wise men to where they could observe their parent. He was he was still young, but the thing about it is, he wasn't a baby anymore. You know, people people get all dewy-eyed over the baby Jesus. They can handle a baby Jesus. They think, oh, isn't that cute? They can even handle the crucified Jesus. They feel sorry for it. You know, our Lord doesn't need anybody's pity. He needs our obedience. What they don't want is they don't want that last part of that verse that comes through there where his name shall be called Wonderful. The world has never called Jesus Wonderful. He has never ruled the world, but he's going to. Every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess. I've had people tell me, I'll never bow my knee. I said, oh, yes, sir. I promise you, you will bow your knee. I said, my Bible says every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. It's his honor and glory of the Father. What Christmas? That's what Christmas is all about. It's about the baby coming. That was his incarnation. It's about the son going to the cross for the joy set before him, which was our salvation. That's the crucifixion. It's about the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ when he comes again in power and great glory. The first time he came as a lamb, the next time he's coming as the lion of the tribe of Judah. The first time he came to extend grace, the next time he's coming to execute justice. You know, I'm glad that there came a time in my life that I realized that there was a hole in my heart that nothing could fill except God. That's what Augustine said. He said there's a God-shaped vacancy in every human heart. A human can only be fulfilled. By having a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you know, that's what it's about. It's about a relationship. It's not about religion. I deal with people all the time who are religious. But I always stress the fact, brother, sir, it's not your religion that's going to either damn you or send you to, uh, send you to heaven. I said, it's your relationship with Jesus Christ. What think you of Christ? Whose son is he? What think you of Christ? Whose savior is he? You know, it's fine to accept the fact that Jesus is the son of God. But if Jesus is not the savior of you, then you're in trouble. Lord Jesus said in John chapter 14 and verse number 1, he said, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. See, it's obviously, it's evidently obvious, uh, uh, perfectly possible for a person to believe in God. Everybody believes in God because the heavens declare his handiwork. 
But it, it, everybody doesn't accept Jesus Christ. I was talking to a Jehovah's Witness one time. He said, if you could show me one place in the Bible where it says that Jesus is God, he said, I would, I would accept it. I said, okay. I said, I'll accept that challenge. Turn in your Bible. I said, not my Bible, but in your Bible. I said, turn to Hebrews chapter 1, verse number 8. And it says, and under the sun, he says, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. I said, what about that? He said, I've never seen that before. I said, you ever read the Bible before? Yeah, I've read it. And I've read this, but I never saw that before. I said, is that enough to satisfy you? I said, I didn't take it out of my Bible. I said, I showed it to you in your Bible. He got on his knees and he called on the Lord. It's amazing how God will do things like that in our heart. It's amazing what God is capable of doing for humanity. You know, the only thing that limits him is our unbelief or our unwillingness to obey. That's the thing about my Lord. He was a perfect child. He was a perfect man. He was tempted in all ways like as us and yet without sin. Said no guile was found in his mouth. You know, it's easy, it's, it's difficult actually to go through this life without allowing this life to affect your attitude and your point of view and your actions toward others. I said something the other day I, that I got to thinking about after it was all over with, and I realized that, uh, that I need to amend some things. I hate, don't you hate it when, when your own preaching conviction? But I said, you know, I always try to be polite to everybody unless they initiate the unpleasantness. And I thought, hmm, that's no excuse. We're to be good to those that treat us bad. We're to love our enemies. That is a difficult challenge to face. But that's what the Lord said. We're to love our enemies. We're to pray for those who despitefully use us. You know, as disappointed as you and I are in the politicians in Washington and in Austin, they ought to be the recipients of our prayer every day. I don't, you know, I don't believe there's anybody so rotten that God can't do something in their heart if enough people bombard heaven. Susanna Wesley said that God does nothing except in the answer to prayer. You say, well, I, I wasn't praying when God began to work with me. I wasn't either, but there were some people praying for me. My wife was praying for me. My grandmother was praying for me. I had the privilege of preaching my grandmother's funeral. And I saw there were several little old ladies come up to me. I know who you are. Said, Sister, y'all used to get us to pray for you all the time. And you know, thank God for the power of prayer. And thank God for people who are willing to pray. 
You know, this is Christmas Day. They tell me that Christmas won't fall on a Sunday for another 11 years. You know, in 11 years, a lot of us probably won't be here. I'm not planning on being here in 11 years. Of course, I wasn't planning on being here now. God knows what's going on, and I'm sure that God is going to continue to do the work that God wants to do. But as, as the way things have gone downhill in the past 11 years, I shudder to think what's going to be 11 years from now. One thing I am assured of, God will still be on the throne. If the Lord hadn't come back, and Jesus is wonderful hadn't appeared on the front page of the, some of the world's papers. I'm sure this world's going to be hurt. But I'll, I promise you that God is still going to be on the throne. You probably, every, every one of us has probably got loved ones that we care about that don't know Jesus. May even see them today. So the thing about it is, is we, you know, what we need to do is we need to personify Jesus for our loved one. He was always kind. The only thing that he had a problem with was religion. And you know, he was even, he even went the second mile with the religious crowd. He explained things to Nicodemus, and Nicodemus was a very religious man. And he didn't understand. John chapter 3, the Lord said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus was a very religious man. He was a, he was a self-righteous man. I mean, he wasn't a, he wasn't an evil man. He was a good man. But he, but you know, even the best that our flesh uh, can can produce is his filthy rags in the sight of God. He come to Jesus, and Jesus told him. He said, uh, Jesus answered him. He said, He said, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man doeth the works that thou doest except God be with him. That's a statement. That doesn't require a response. But the Bible says the Lord answered him and said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He answered the question Nicodemus didn't know how to ask. You ever been in a situation where they bombard you with so much information that you didn't have a clue what had just been said? And then they say, anybody got any questions? That was basically where the Nicodemus was. He didn't know what questions to ask. He knew there was something missing in his life. And you know, that's the place that God has to bring us all to in order for him to do work in our heart. We have to realize there's something missing in our life. There's something we need in our life. I mean, I knew, I, I knew a little bit about love from my, my as he experience from my grandparents and stuff when I was younger. But, you know, I never really knew anything about love until I met the Lord Jesus Christ. Until he revealed to me, it wasn't fear that kept me out of hell. It was the fact that I was broken by the love of God. When I was there on my knees in that ranch house, and 
the Lord revealed to me how much he loved me. That broke me. I told him, Lord, I said, I don't, I, I've never expected to be, become the kind of man I am. And I said, Lord, I'd rather die and go to hell tonight than spend another day in the shape I'm in. And I said, Lord, have mercy on me and the sweet peace of God flooded my heart. If you'd asked me, you saved? I wouldn't have knew how to answer that. If you'd asked me, have you been regenerated? I wouldn't have known how to answer that. But I knew that things were different between me and God from that point on. I knew my life could never be the same. People said, did you repent? Oh, hey, repentance comes with belief. There's a difference. Belief, you know, with heart man believeth under righteousness. You can have a mental conception of what's right. And you can have a mental conception of religion. But with the heart, it'll change your life. If there's no change, there's no salvation. That doesn't mean that everybody everybody's going to have a 180-degree turn overnight. God works on you at his, at, at his speed, at a, the, what you can deal with. But he does work on everybody. When God moves into a person's heart, he changes their life. I think about Mary Magdalene, out of whom we cast seven devils. She followed him all the way to the grave. You know, that's what he said, take up your cross and follow me. He said, what's the cross? I mean, you know, I believe probably the biggest cross I've got to bear is me. A friend of mine wrote a song called The Highest Mountain. said, the highest mountain, I'll, I'm the highest mountain I'll ever have to climb. If I could just get over me, I know I'd do just fine. Brother, that's, that's it. But that's what Christmas is about. It's about God sending his son to die on the cross. But sending his son in this world that he might become sin for us who do no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The Lord Jesus told Pilate, he said, no man takes my life from me. He said, I lay it down of myself. Said, if I lay it down, then I can take it again. You know, I'm glad that the Bible's true. I'm glad that Isaiah 9, 7 is in the Bible. I'm glad that Isaiah 7, 14 is in the Bible. I'm glad that Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 2 is in the Bible. I'm just glad that God gave us his word. That his incarnate word came to this earth and lived out in his 30 30 some odd years. He lived out the word of God that he gave us. He always displayed the attributes of God because he was God. But he also could empathize and sympathize with men because he was man too. People say it wasn't anything for him to go to the cross because he knew he was going to get up. Well, I know I'm going to get up, but I don't want to be nailed on a tree. I mean, he he went through the same pain, the same anguish, and much war because he was made to be sin. He who had always had a conscience devoid of offense toward God. 
suddenly knew the depravity and the filth and the and the horrible nature of humanity, and he bore it willingly in his body on a tree. That when he got up, that was symbolic that that God had accepted what he did on our part. He died for our sins. If he hadn't died for our sins, we'd die for our own. But he died for our sins. If we died for our own, we'd spend eternity in hell. But because God raised him from the dead on the third day, you and I can accept the fact that God stamped that sin debt of mine, paid in full when I bowed my knee and called on the Lord. And that's what Christmas is all about. It's about it's about God. It's about salvation. It's not about Santa Claus. It's not about presents and guilt and all the bling that goes home with Christmas. It's about a holy God sending a obedient son to earth first as a baby to live a, uh, to completely live a human life and then as a lamb to die on the cross and then as the Lord to be raised from the dead and he'll come back. I promise you, I, I'm hoping to live to see him. See his return. I believe there's a good possibility of it. It can't be long. State the world's in. But I'm just glad I'm ready. And I guess that would be my, uh, that would be the challenge. Are you ready? I know that I'm preaching to the choir this morning. But you know, I was preaching in church one time, and one of the charter members came forward and got saved. A lady in her seventies who had been a member there for forty years. So you never know who saved who isn't. I don't even pretend to anymore. But I know one thing. There's a Savior sitting on the right hand of the throne of God who will receive you just as you are. It's like that old song, Just as I am without one plea, except thy blood was shed for me. And that, you know, that's how you have to come. You can't hold on to anything. You have to be willing to surrender it all. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. That's how you get saved. And you know the thing about it is, when God when God does a saving work in a human heart, they'll never be the same again. Thank God for that. Our Father, I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be here this morning. Lord, for somebody that needs needs to come forward, could needs to come to altar and call on you and Lord I think this would be a, a perfect opportunity Lord if, if everybody is satisfied in their hearts that they have a relationship with you I thank God for that what a privilege that is I appreciate the fact that we could be here this morning that none of us were ill pray for brother Roger I pray God that you'll you'll hasten his recovery we need him back in the pulpit Thank you, Lord, for this church. Thank you for these good people. And I just pray, Lord, you'll get glory and honor from everything we say and do this day in Jesus' precious name.